Well, amen. Take your copy of God's word and turn to Philippians chapter four as we get back into our study of that book called Still Joyful. Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, be reading there in just a few minutes. People have problems. You have problems and I have problems. We might as well not pretend. We might as well get it out in the open today. I want you to look around you for a moment. Maybe you don't do this often, but I want you to look to the person seated on your left. Go ahead and look at them. Take a good look. Now look at the person on your right. Now take a look at the person behind you. Now look at the person in front of you. Now guess what? They all have problems. When you get home, take a look in the mirror, and the person you see in the mirror, that person has problems. This room is filled with people that have problems. Family problems, financial problems, health problems, personality problems, emotional problems, psychological problems, relational problems, and maybe even some categories of problems that I even failed to mention this morning. We have problems. The group Casting Crowns has a song on their album, uh, their life song album called Stained Glass Masquerade. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. It says, is there anyone that fails? Is there anyone that falls? Am I the only one in church today feeling so small? Because when I look around, everybody seems so strong. I knew I know they'll soon discover that I don't belong. So I tuck it all away like everything's okay. If I make them all believe it, maybe I'll believe it too. So with a painted grin, I play the part again so everyone will see me the way I see them. Are we happy plastic people under shiny plastic steeples with walls around our weakness and smiles to hide our pain? But if the invitation's open to every heart that has been broken, maybe then we can close the curtain on our stained glass masquerade. Is there anyone who's been there? Are there any hands to raise? Am I the only one who's traded in the altar for the stage? The performance is convincing and we know every line by heart. Only when no one is watching can I really fall apart. But would it set me free if I dared to let you see the truth behind the person that you imagine me to be? Would your arms be open or would you walk away? Would the love of Jesus be enough to make you stay? Some powerful words to realize that's the way some people feel. In the Peanuts cartoon once, Lucy was talking to Snoopy. And she said, there are times when you really bug me, but I must admit there are also times when I feel like giving you a big hug. And Snoopy replies these words, Lucy, that's the way I am, huggable and buggable. (laughs) You see, we need one another in the church, beloved. You look around at those same people that you looked at a moment ago, those people that have problems. If you look at them again, realize this. Those same people are huggable and they're also buggable. Look up here. This preacher is huggable, but he's also buggable. 
We need one another in the church, but sometimes problems creep into our relationships. I understand there were two porcupines. They were huddled close together on a cold, bitter night up in northern Canada. And the closer they got to stay warm, the more their quills prick one another, making it virtually impossible to stay together side by side. So they silently moved apart. And before long, they were shivering again in the wintry gale. So they came back together again. And soon they were both were poking and jabbing one another. So they separated again. Same story, same result. The action was repeated all night long. They've moved together, get warm, start poking one another, pricking one another, move back apart. Back and forth, back and forth. You know what? That's a picture of us. Instead of helping one another, sometimes we end up hurting one another. We all need to understand this, beloved. As long as there are people in the church, there will be problems. Mark it down. Get it down. Understand it. Accept it. As long as there are people in the church, there will be problems. And listen, no people means no church. You see, the saved people of the church, not the building. We can go meet somewhere else. We'd still be the church. The people make up the church. So there'll always be people and there'll always be problems, right? As long as there's people, there's problems. Now, beloved, this is not new. It did not begin in 2010. It did not begin in the turn of the century. Even in Scripture, read about problems in the church. As we pick up our study of Philippians today, we don't read far before we realize that there were some problem people in the church at Philippi. Now, the church at Philippi was a great church. It was a great church, but it was not a perfect church. And that encourages me. That encourages me. That makes me thankful as we labor away here at Red Hill Baptist Church, realizing we are not a perfect church. I pray that we're pleasing to the Lord. I pray that we're faithfully doing what He's called us to do. I pray that we're doing His will, but we are not a perfect church. Now, praise be to God, we serve a perfect Savior. Hallelujah. He is perfect. But we're not perfect people. Now, positionally, in Christ, we're perfect. But practically speaking here today, we're not perfect. We're not perfect people. We're not a perfect church. We're huggable and we're buggable. So what do we do? What do we do when we start aggravating and irritating one another? What do we do when we start kind of poking and and, and hurting one another like those porcupines? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's read our scripture today and find out what God has for us. Look at Philippians chapter four, beginning at verse one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel with Clement also. And with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, I want to give you today very quickly six things to do to help keep peace and harmony in the church. We're going to glean them all from this passage. We'll also talk about what to do if you're having problems right now with another brother or sister in Christ. But let's jot down these six things together. Number one, stand fast, stand fast. Look at back to verse number one. Therefore, now, whenever you see therefore in a scripture passage, you want to find out what it's there for. 
It's referring back to what's already been said. It refers back to what Paul has already been talking about here in chapter 3. If you back up in chapter 3, he's talking about the enemies of Christ. He's talking about the rapture of the church. Look at chapter 3, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation, our citizenship, our living is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He piles on the titles here. He calls them what? If you mark them down, brethren, dearly beloved, long for my joy, my crown, my dearly beloved. He loved the Philippian believers. He loved the church at Philippi. And beloved, we're to love the brethren. And he says to them, stand fast in the Lord. There are enemies out there. There are enemies of Christ. You stand fast. One day we're going to be changed like in his glorious body. Stand fast. But notice the key there is this phrase. Stand fast in the Lord. That's where our strength is. Not just stand fast. Not just stand at our own strength, but stand fast to the Lord. Now, he's already talked about this before. Chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Stand firm. Stand fast. Keep on standing. What does he mean there? What does that involve? Swindoll summarized it, I think, well. He said it means following Christ's teaching. It means respecting his word. It means modeling his priorities. It means loving his people. It means seeking and carrying out his will. Think about those for a moment. Let's say them again. Following Christ's teachings. Respecting his word. Modeling his priorities. Loving his people and seeking and carrying out his will. Now listen. If I'm busy doing those things, I'm not going to have a lot of time left over to fuss and fume and fight with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because my life is preoccupied with Christ and his kingdom and his righteousness. And I'm busy about that. So he says, first of all, stand fast. Are you ready for number two? He says this. Think alike. Look at verse two. I beseech you, odious. And beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, Paul moves here from the general. He's been speaking about the general, right? Stand fast in one spirit. But then he moves on to the specific here. And he even names names. Listen, if anybody was sleeping when this letter is being written, at that moment they awoke. And especially two ladies named Euodius and Syntyche. How would you like to be remembered for all of church history as the two women who could not get along in church? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Out of all the meanings of their names I ran across, and there were several various meanings, I did run across this meaning. Euodius means prosperous journey, and Syntyche means pleasant acquaintance. 
I thought about that. You can rest assured, beloved, that when Euodius and Sympathy traveled and journeyed together, it was neither prosperous nor pleasant. They did not get along. It has been noted, you know, Paul said in verse one that they're my joy and my crown. It's been said if they were his crown, here were two thorns in that crown. Euodius and Syntyche. Now, we don't believe they were having a great doctrinal debate because Paul doesn't address it. And we believe that he would. It seems they just couldn't get along. They had a disagreement that had spilled over into the church family. It needed to be addressed. In fact, it had even reached Paul writing from Rome in prison. He heard about the dispute, the, the disagreement between Euodius and Syntyche. Now, these ladies, listen, they weren't bad ladies. They weren't just casual attenders. Look at what Paul says about in the next verse. I entreat thee also, yet yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me. In the gospel, what he's saying here is this. They may have even been a part of the original converts that made up the church in Philippi with, with Lydia. And so these weren't just casual attenders. These were ladies that had helped Paul in getting out the gospel. Now, notice how Paul deals with them. He deals with them graciously and he doesn't take sides. In fact, he, he urges each one by name. I beseech or urge you odious and I beseech Syntyche. He calls them back by name. Notice what he says to him, that they be of the same mind of the Lord. In other words, he calls them to unity. He calls them to think alike, to have the same mind. He calls them. Notice what it says. They have the same mind. What's the next phrase in the Lord? Wait a minute. He just said, stand fast in the Lord. Now he says, have the same mind in the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, have the mind of Christ. He's already talked about this. If you go back and read in chapter two, verses one through eight, he talks about having the mind of Christ, having having uh, being like minded, having the same love, being one of accord, of one mind, nothing done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves, having the mind of Christ. He's calling them to unity. He's calling them to think alike in the Lord, to have the mind of Christ. Now, listen. He was not expecting them to agree on every little thing, but he was expecting them to be agreeable. Gromaki was right when he said, although believers have distinctive personalities and will naturally have differences of opinions, they should strive for unity in spiritual issues. We all like different colors. Look around today. As I look out among you, I see all sorts of styles and colors and those sorts of things. We like different schedules. We have different preferences. We like different foods. We have different things we like and dislike. But listen, we can agree together in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can agree on Jesus. We can agree in the things that matter. We can have the same mind in these things. Think alike. Think alike. So he said to him so far, stand fast, think alike. You ready for number three? Help one another. Help one another. Look again at verse three. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Whoever this was, it's not really worth time to debate it and talk about it. But it just says true yoke fellow. Help those women which labor with me in the gospel. Paul saying, listen, these ladies may need a mediator to help them settle this dispute. And I want you to help them to do that. This issue has to be dealt with. 
Their divisiveness could spill over into the church. The church could take on the same spirit. So I want you to help them. Now, we're to help one another. How? Well, first of all, we're to help one another get out the gospel. Notice what it says. I entreat thee also, troop yet fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. These very ladies, Euodius and Syntyche, by the way, if you're looking for good baby names, I mean, there's two to consider, Euodius and Syntyche. But anyway, Euodius and Syntyche, they help Paul get out the gospel. He mentions Clement. I like him. Wonder why he mentions Clement and he mentions his fellow laborers. They work together to get out the gospel. Listen, beloved, we're working together as Red Hill Baptist Church. We're working together as brothers and sisters in Christ to get out the gospel in this community. We're working with others to get out the gospel in our world. We're to help each other get out the gospel. Secondly, we're to help one another in Christian growth. We're to help one another in Christian growth. Helping one another when life is flowing smoothly and the problems aren't so great. And at the same time, helping one another when it seems all of life is nothing but a storm that's raging with dark skies and thunder and lightning. Listen, I don't want us to be plastic people meeting under a plastic steeple. I don't want us just to play a part. I don't want us just to pretend and have the lines down and know how to act and know how to play a part and pretend. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Let's help one another to become what God has called us to be and help one another call to what God has called us to do. We're the family of God. We're the bride of Christ. We're to help one another. We're to help one another get out the gospel. We're to help one another in a Christian growth. And thirdly, we're to help one another to settle grumbles when they come up from time to time. Can you imagine that grumbles would come up in a church family? Can you imagine that there'd be fuming and fussing and fighting in the church? Man, we don't have to imagine, do we? We see it in our world, don't we? Now, we're not to ignore it. We're to deal with it. Ministry can be messy at times. If you're here today and you have an issue... With another brother and sister in Christ, you need to deal with it. You need to go to that person and seek to settle that and get it straightened out. If you go by yourself and you can't get it settled out, you need to to get some other believers to go with you and help you. Uh, You can get your, your pastor, your family's deacon, and we'll go with you and help you. Get it straightened out. You say, where do you get that from, preacher? Listen to Matthew 18. I want to jot this reference down. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. You go to that brother or sister and settle it. If he shall not hear thee, or if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man, the public. In other words, church discipline. And the purpose of church discipline is restoration to see a person repent and come back to the Lord. But the idea, beloved, is to deal with it. Don't let it go. Don't let it fester. Don't let it fume. Don't let it grow up to a root of bitterness. If you have a problem with a brother or sister in Christ, get it settled. Get it settled. Go to him. If you ever have an issue with me, come to me. Let's get it settled. Let's work together in getting up the gospel and growing together and in settling the grumbles that come from time to time. You still mark your list? Stand, a lot, stand fast, think alike, help one another. Number four, rejoice. Rejoice. Look at verse four. Rejoice the Lord always. 
And again, I say rejoice. Now, notice, notice this verse does not say rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. There's a crucial phrase in that, isn't there? What is it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Wait a minute. We're to stand fast in the Lord. We're to have the same mind in the Lord. We're to rejoice in the Lord. You see, that's what makes the difference. It's who makes the difference. Things come into our lives that we cannot rejoice in. Did you hear that? Things come in our lives that we cannot rejoice in. But even during those times, we can rejoice in the Lord. Even in those hard times, we can rejoice in his salvation. We can rejoice in his presence. We can rejoice in his keeping. We can rejoice in his comfort. Remember the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness is based on circumstances. Circumstances change. You can be happy this moment and sad in 30 seconds. But joy is based on Jesus. That kind of joy is constant and continuing. And it goes on and on because it's in the Lord Jesus Christ who changes not. We're told to rejoice in the Lord. Well, preacher, when are we to rejoice? Look at the verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. We're always to rejoice in the Lord. Well, listen, how long are we supposed to rejoice? Look, read the verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. We're to always rejoice in the Lord. And listen, just in case anybody missed it, God, the Holy Spirit, had Paul write it again. Look at it. Rejoice the Lord always. Maybe it went over our head the first time. And again, I say rejoice. Now, listen, Paul is writing Philippians from Rome in a prison, probably under house arrest at this time. And yet in that, he's still joyful. You see, joy is the theme of this book. Euodius and Syntyche may have been thorns in his crown at this moment, but he's still rejoicing in the Lord. It's been observed a kettle, a kettle, a tea kettle is up to its neck in hot water, yet it still sings. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I don't know what you're facing at the moment, Christian. But I do know this. You can find joy in Jesus. You can rejoice in Jesus. And by the way, the greater you know the Lord, the easier it is to rejoice. Listen, when you come to the word of God, don't study just the word of God. Study the God of the word. Think about that for a moment. Don't just study the word of God. Study the God of the word. Get to know him. Get to see his faithfulness and his love and his his constancy in your life and rejoice in him. The circumstances are not to affect our joy. The old evangelist Vance Havner years ago said he had seen more cheerful faces on iodine bottles than on some Christians. Man. Think about that. Where to rejoice. Are you rejoicing today? It may have been a hard week, maybe an awful week. Things may be going awry in your life. But listen, you can find joy in Jesus. By the way, friend, do you know Jesus today? Has he forgiven your sin? 
and placed you in the family of God because you've repented of your sin and called upon him. If not, friend, do that today. Rejoice in the Lord. We've got to hurry. Number five, be gracious. Verse five says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The King James here has it translated moderation. There are several different ways to translate that word. Here are some examples. Gentleness, patience, forbearance, graciousness, sweet reasonableness, just to name a few. It's the idea of being gracious. As someone observed, not spineless, but selfless. Let me, let me talk to you for a moment. You see, there are some things upon which we have to disagree about. We have to disagree. There are some things that may even mean that we have to part ways. What do you mean, preach? You just said we're to think alike and be alike and all this. Listen, when it comes to the fundamental doctrines of the faith, we have to agree on those. Or we have to disagree and separate. What do you mean, preacher? Well, I mean this. If you teach salvation is by good works, we can't work together. If you teach salvation is by getting in a baptismal pool and being baptized, that's salvation. We can't work together. If you say Jesus really didn't live a sinless life, he messed up like the rest of us. We can't work together. If you say, well, Jesus is not really the son of God. We can't work together. If you say, wait a minute, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. We can't work together. You see, these are essential truths. That we must agree on. These are not just preferences. These are essential truths of truth and doctrine. And we have to agree on those. And if we don't agree, we have to part ways. Period. But on minor issues, we can agree to disagree agreeably. You like that? We have to. We can agree to disagree agreeably. Listen, you might like certain color. You may want things done a certain way. I might want them done a different way. We can disagree about that. Let's do it agreeably. Okay? On those minor things. Let your moderation, your graciousness. Somebody said it means easygoing. Listen to what he says. This is the kind of person Paul sees here as someone who's easy, listen, easy to get along with. In whose company we can relax and feel at home. Who brings out the best in us. A big hearted Christian. They have a heart for God's people. They have a heart for lost people. And they have a heart for God. They're big hearted people. I don't know about you friend. That's the kind of person I want to be. A big hearted Christian. Who has a heart for God's people. A heart for lost people. And a heart for God. I want to be easy to get along with. I want to be easy to get along with. I want to stand firm in the Lord. I want to stand on the truth of God's word. I want to stand fast. But on minor things, I want to stand in such a way that I'm easy to get along with. Listen, life is too short to pick a fight over every little thing. If your whole purpose in life is to fuss and fight, get on your knees and repent before the Lord and ask him to change your heart. That is not what life is all about. I don't like people like that. Let's be honest with you. I had guys I went to college with. They loved to debate. And I just, I detested that. I don't like it. Now, a good academic debate's one thing, but just to show arrogancy and show how much you know, I don't have time for that. Life is too short. I don't want to fuss and fight. 
I'm going to stand where God says stand, but I want to be easygoing otherwise. I want to be a gracious Christian. We need more gracious Christians. We need people who are kind and gentle, long-suffering, meek. Man, where have I heard that before? The fruit of the Spirit working in our lives. Jesus was strong. Don't ever get the, the idea that he was some kind of weakling, that he was a meek, wonderful Savior. But he took a whip and drove out the money changers. He stood strong and firm at those times. But the same Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. we got one more and we're done. You've got down five now. Stand fast, think alike, help one another, rejoice, be gracious. Number six, remember he's here and he's coming again. Remember he's here and he's coming again. Look at the end of verse five. The Bible says the Lord is at hand. Is is italicized there. It's added by the translator. Let's read it without it. The Lord at hand. Now, some believe this means that he's near this very moment. The Lord is near. And some say, no, he's talking about the Lord's coming again. He is coming as near. I think we can understand it both ways. You know why? Both are true. The Lord is at hand. He's present this very moment. He's present this very moment. And if he is, don't you think if we really thought about that and really realized that it would impact the way we live? If Jesus Christ walked in here this very moment, would it change what you're doing right now? Would it change what you're thinking? Would it change what you're behave, how you're behaving? Listen, God, the Holy Spirit is here. He indwells every single Christian here this today. God is omnipresent everywhere in all of his being all at the same time. He's with you, Christian. He hears every word that's spoken. He knows every thought that you have. The Lord is at hand, but also the Lord is in hand that he's coming again. And it may be today. You know, it may be before the final amen today. It may be before we reach our vehicles and drive out the drive today. What do you want to be doing and saying when Jesus comes again? What do you not want to be doing when Jesus comes again? I've never heard a Christian say, boy, I hope when the rapture comes, I'm in the middle of a good church fight. I hope I'm letting my brother and sister in Christ have it. I hope I get the last word in. No, friend. When Jesus comes, I want to be found looking and waiting and worshiping and witnessing for his honor and his glory. The Lord's coming. The Lord is at hand. Chuck Swindoll, in one of his books, shares a parable Written by Karen Maines. It's a parable called the brawling or a brawling bride. A brawling bride. Karen Maines paints a very vivid picture describing a suspenseful moment in a, in a wedding ceremony. Down front in the church stands the groom in a spotless tuxedo. Handsome, smiling, full of anticipation. Shoes shine, every hair in place, anxiously awaiting the presence of the bride. All the attendants are in their place, looking joyful and attractive. And finally, the magical moment comes when the pipe organ reaches full crescendo and the stately wedding march begins. Everyone, as you know, rises and turns their heads toward the door 
for the first glimpse of the bride. Suddenly, there's a horrified gasp. The wedding party is shocked. The groom stands in embarrassed disbelief. Instead of a lovely woman in elegant white, smiling behind a lace veil, the bride is limping down the aisle. Her dress is soiled and torn. Her leg seems twisted. Ugly cuts and bruises cover her bare arms. Her nose is bleeding. One eye is purple and swollen and her hair is disheveled. Does not this handsome groom deserve better than this? Asked the author. And then the clincher. Alas, his bride, the church, has been fighting again. The bride of Christ. You see, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says this. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that that it might be holy and without blemish. The bride of Christ. Beloved, let us stand fast. Let us think alike, have the same mind in Christ. Let us help one another. Let us rejoice. Let us be gracious. Let's remember that he's here and he's coming again. Let's practice these things as we seek to keep peace and harmony in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Would you bow with me today in prayer? Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your care. We thank you for this passage. Father, help us. We so easily get irritated and aggravated and upset one another. Help us to be gracious, easygoing, kind, loving brothers and sisters. Help us to stand firm where you've called us to stand. And then, Lord, help us to be gracious in those areas that we disagree. I pray that if anybody here today has a disagreement between another brother and sister in Christ, they'll get it right today. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to live like this. Kind, gracious, rejoicing. Father, I pray today if someone's here does not know Jesus as their Savior, may they come right now during this invitation and receive him by grace through faith. In his name we pray. Amen and amen.